This is the Pat O'Keefe Show on 98.7 ESPN. And we got three hours to hang out on this Sunday evening in New York City. After another Yankees win, another dominating performance against the Chicago Cubs, wrapping up a tidy weekend three-game sweep. The Yankees just continue to roll, winning series after series, sweeping many of them as they are now 44-16. and 16. The win pace right now for the Yankees is up to 118 wins, and we're more than a third of the way through the season. This isn't like after three weeks, oh, they're on pace to win 118 games. Now, things are about to get a whole lot more difficult, a whole lot more challenging for the Yankees, which we will discuss. But 18-4 to four over the Cubs after beating them 8-0 yesterday. And showing that they can win in myriad ways, they won 2-1 to one in 13 innings on Friday. So an extremely frustrating weekend in New York for the Cubs. The Cubs are awful. I mean, I saw the Cubs earlier this year um, playing the Dodgers in a three-game weekend series at Wrigley Field, and they were absolutely awful. Now, granted, I've seen them play the Dodgers, and I've seen them play the Yankees, the best two teams in baseball right now, but they're just an awful baseball team. And it's amazing that six years ago, they were the best team in baseball when they won the World Series in 2016. They've completely torn that whole thing down. So plenty to talk about with the Yankees. Uh, again, the schedule about to get a lot more challenging. Yankees have done what they've needed to do, and I've been saying this all season long so far. They've done exactly what they need to do against these lousy teams. Again, this last week, you sweep the Cubs. You take two out of three over a good Twins team on the road, but the Twins are always the Yankees' whipping boys. You sweep the Tigers. You sweep the Angels, both at home. And the last time they played a really tough team, a really challenging team, was against the Tampa Bay Rays on the road when they split that four-game series. So that's where the Yankees are right now uh, at 44-16, and 16, by far and away the best record in baseball and the biggest divisional lead in major league baseball as they're now eight and a half games ahead of Toronto nine games ahead of Tampa Bay now we have the Mets coming up uh in about an hour they're finishing off their 10 game western road trip their three game series in Los Angeles against the Angels looking for a win of the series looking for a split of their 10 game road trip which would be a terrific accomplishment a terrific road trip however they've lost a lot of ground Look, if you said at the beginning of this 10-game West Coast trip for the Mets that you can go 5-5 five and five against the Dodgers, the Padres, and the Angels, who when you looked at this Angels series about a week or two ago, they were a very good team. Since then, they've kind of fallen off the rails. You would have taken 5-5, five, uh, and five, but the Phillies ripped off nine straight wins. The Braves have now won 11 straight games. So the Mets' once comfortable lead in the National League East has been shaved all the way down to five. And a tough task again tonight uh, against an Angels team that's not as bad as that, uh, what, 11-12 game losing streak would indicate. They hit the Mets pretty hard last night winning game two of that series. So that's coming up. Uh, Obviously, the Rangers and Ranger fans still licking their wounds less than 24 hours after their season came to an end, a disappointing end to a terrific season. And the Rangers' end of their season, you look at it in a couple of ways. It's it's extremely disappointing because you had this series. It was there for the taking. I was right here after a week ago, after Game 3 in Tampa Bay. And the Rangers led that game 2 to nothing midway through the second period. 
The Lightning got one back before the end of the second. They got one early in the third on the power play. And then Andre Palat scored with 42 seconds to go. A 3-2 win in a game that was there for the taking for the Rangers. Just too many untimely penalties they took, giving power play opportunities to Tampa Bay when the Rangers were in control of that game. And I said it at the time. And I actually had at least one caller call up and call me a hater. I was hating on the Rangers. He said, they're in good shape. They're still leading the series two games to one. I said it at the time. You could see it clear as day. The Rangers let this team, this championship team, back in the series. They had a chance last Sunday to bury the Tampa Bay Lightning, and they were unable to do it. Tampa Bay came back and won that game and it completely flipped the rest of the series. Now, I didn't sit here last Sunday and predict that the Rangers wouldn't win another game. I wasn't going that far a week ago, but I'm not terribly surprised at what happened. This is what championship teams do. And they are as impressive a team as I have seen in years in either sport. I mean, they really, really are the Tampa Bay Lightning. They, they it just You look at, obviously, they've won two consecutive Stanley Cups. First round this year, they're down 3-2. to two. They've got a win to stay alive against a very talented Maple Leafs team. They do. They go to Game 7 in Toronto, a Maple Leafs team with all sorts of demons not being able to get out of the first round in forever. Longest drought in the NHL right now, the longest since they've won their last Stanley Cup. All of that was hanging over Toronto. The last team they needed to face in the first round was Tampa Bay. And what does Tampa Bay do? They go and they win a game seven on the road in Toronto, one of the toughest places in the NHL to play. Second round, they sweep the team that won the President's Trophy. Third round, the Rangers looked as good as you could for the first five and a half periods of this series. Game one at the Garden, 6-2 to two win. Tampa Bay never had a chance. Game two, Rangers jump out to a 3-1 lead. Tampa scores with about two minutes to go to make it 3-2, and they had many chances down the stretch with the extra skater and the goalie pulled. Rangers held on for dear life, but it's two games to nothing. And then game three in Tampa last Sunday afternoon. Boom. Zibanejad, 1-0 Rangers on the power play. Boom. A couple minutes later, Chris Kreider, 2-0. And you start to think, oh, my God, are the Rangers going to sweep these guys? I mean, be honest, Rangers fans. That's what you were thinking, right? Up 2-0. In games, and up to nothing in game three, one week ago today, you were thinking not only, hey, we're going to the Stanley Cup Finals, you were thinking, we might sweep these guys. And then the next shift, Truba takes the penalty for interference. Kucherov scores, makes it 2-1. to one. Again, they tie it early in the third, and they win it on that great pass from Kucherov to Andre Palat in game three. And they really outplayed the Rangers the rest of the way. They did. And that one... Glimmer of hope last night when the Rangers, trailing one nothing, tied the game. Before you could even enjoy the fact that the Rangers were back in the game, Tampa Bay scored the eventual game-winning goal, Steven Stamkos. They just have so many guys that have done it. And we'll talk a lot about the NBA and the NBA Finals, which is now down to a best of three, but you're starting to see that with the Warriors. You saw that in Game 4 on Friday night with Golden State in a game they had to have. Now, they weren't facing elimination, but the Warriors had to have that game four in Boston because they weren't going to come back from three games to one down. Only one team in NBA Finals history has done it, and they did it to the Warriors. And they needed a suspension to one of the Warriors' most important players, Draymond Green, to get that done. 
So Golden State had to have that game, and they were down by five on the road, a hostile environment in Boston on Friday night with seven and a half minutes to go. And then Steph Curry, one of the greatest players of all time, who in some circles is still a little bit underrated. You know, from this era of basketball, um, Durant's better, Giannis is better, LeBron is better. Um, you know, there's probably the most variant. He's, he's clearly one of the, well, he's officially one of the 75 greatest players of all time. You know, depending on who you ask, he's a top 30 all-time player. Some people think he's a top 20. Some people think he's a top 15. Some people think he's a top 10. I'll tell you this. If he has a couple more performances like he did on Friday night and they win this championship, even if he doesn't have a couple more performances like that, because and we'll talk about this later, that was the best game of Steph Curry's career. That was the signature game of his career. Now, it's written in pencil right now as the signature game because in order for it to become his ultimate signature game, they have to win this series. So they've got to win two more games, but they have two games at home. But he carried a team to a win in the NBA Finals, the likes of which, in recent memory, the only, since Michael Jordan retired, the only person who I have seen since Jordan retire single-handedly carry his team to just, and I'm not even talking about a series victory. I'm talking about winning a game in the NBA Finals has been LeBron James, and he had to do that a few times with the Cavs. He would have done it in Game 1 of 2018 if J.R. Smith knew the score and didn't pull the ball out when the game was tied in the final seconds. But that's what Curry did. Look, LeBron never had to single-handedly win a game when he was with the Heat. He had Dwayne Wade. He had Chris Bosh. The Warriors, Durant was the NBA Finals MVP in 2017 and 2018. He never had to single-handedly carry them to a win. He had Curry, he had Klay Thompson, he had Draymond Green. He had plenty of help. That's why he went there. You know, Kevin Durant has, hasn't proven at all that he's capable of carrying a team to a win in the NBA Finals. Um, you know, Kobe Bryant, when he won without Shaq the two years, he had Pau Gasol as his top wingman. You know, the Boston Celtics, the last time they won in 2008, had the big three. You know, Pierce was the biggest offensive threat. Even last year, Giannis didn't single-handedly carry Milwaukee. I mean, if you think about the finals last season, the Bucks and the Suns, Giannis was obviously the best player on the team and in the series. But in those close games, final two minutes, even the games in Brooklyn in the second round, game seven in Brooklyn, Nets and Bucks, round two, final two minutes, they were setting up Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton hit the game-winning shot. Chris Middleton from the range was their number one option offensively. Number two option was dumping inside to Giannis, but he wasn't the number one option. Giannis was probably as close to a one-man show for a team winning games in the NBA Finals, but even he didn't do that. But Curry did that. And the knock on Curry his entire career is that, oh, Curry needs a lot of help. You know, he's been as great as he's been because he's played with Klay Thompson, one of the other greatest shooters of all time. And he's had Draymond Green, who does everything else, defense, run the option, re, uh, run the offense, excuse me, rebound, set guys up with assists. You know, Curry, all he's had to do is shoot his entire career. That, that couldn't be further from the truth, and it's becoming less true the older he gets. I mean, watch Stephen Curry play basketball now. He is so much better at basketball than he was in 2015 when he was the NBA MVP. 2016 when he was the MVP for a second straight year and they won 73 games. He's a better player now because his team isn't as good, so he's got to do more, and he does do more. So that's everything we got going on. Um, 
1-800-919-3776. We'll talk a lot about the NBA in the next hour, but your calls on that are always welcome, of course. Let's talk about the Yankees because it's it's kind of getting ridiculous. I mean, the way that you win division championships, and for the Yankees this year, like every year, it's all going to come down to what they do in the postseason. And they've been disappointing in the postseason in the last 10, 12 years since 2009. I mean, you can't think outside of 2017. And that's why that 2017 team that the Yankees lost in Game 7 to the Astros, they're the one team since the Yankees last won a World Series in 2009 that didn't underachieve. Every Yankees team since 2009 did not go as far as the expectations were. Obviously, last year, their no-show in the wild card game against the Red Sox. The year before, they lose a game five to Tampa Bay in a game that they had a one nothing lead with Garrett Cole on the mound. He couldn't close it out. Aroldis Chapman gave up the game-winning home run. The year before, in 2019, that was Boone's best regular season as the Yankees manager. That was disappointing because uh, you had that great comeback in Houston to force extra innings, DJ LeMahieu's home run, and then Altuve hits the home run off of Chapman, two games shy of the World Series. Even 2018, I know the Red Sox had a great regular season in 2018. The Yankees bowed out in four games in the ALCS, the ALDS. The Yankees could have won that series in 2018. And don't point to the Red Sox regular season record that year and say, oh, they were the better team. No, they had a better record than the Yankees that year because the Yankees underachieved that season. So 2017 is really the one Yankees team in recent vintage that fans look at and don't think that they underachieved. So for the Yankees, once again, it's all going to come down to the postseason. So all you can do in the regular season is put yourself in the most advantageous position to make your path as, quote-unquote, easy and smooth through the playoffs as possible. Have enough of a lead so that you can set up your pitching rotation. Obviously, secure home field advantage. Get your staff lined up. Get your players healthy. And right now, the Yankees, because they continue to win, are putting themselves in position to do all of that. I mean, look at this. Since the Rays... Series. The Yankees won that first. This is about two weeks ago. The Yankees went down to St. Pete. They won the first two games against Tampa Bay, and then they lost the last two. Since then, let's see, three, six, eight, 11 and one. They're 11 and one in their last 12 games. The only game they lost was that one where Nestor Cortez didn't have it the other night in Minnesota. And then they still bounced back and beat the Twins 10 7 the next game. I mean, they are just not messing around at all. They win series like clockwork. As often as they win a series, two to one, they sweep the series, three games to nothing. And that is how you do it. Now, it's going to be really, really challenging the next two, three weeks. I mean, the schedule gets so much tougher right now. They have a day off tomorrow, and then they remain home for three games against Tampa Bay. You know, you look at the pitching matchups. For the Yankees, it almost doesn't matter. I mean, where's the weak link in the pitching rotation? The starting pitcher with the worst numbers, with the highest ERA, is Garrett Cole, the guy who makes $36 million a year. So if you're going on ERA and numbers and stats, your weak link is Garrett Cole. But this series, you have Cole, Cortez, and Severino. 
Tampa Bay has Kluber, McClanahan, and Rasmussen, three pitchers whose numbers are almost as good as the Yankees' three pitchers. Tampa Bay is as good as ever. It's just that the Yankees are better than they've been in a very long time. So you got three against Tampa Bay, and then a tough six-game road trip, three in Toronto and three at Tampa Bay. And then you come home for four games against the Astros. So that basically takes you till the last week of June. Tampa, Toronto, Tampa, Houston. That is a very, very tough stretch. But the Yankees right now are relentless. Offensively, pitching-wise, bullpen, their defense, which is kind of the biggest change coming into this season. That has really held true. And it's looking like one of those seasons where everything that you know Cashman does or every move that Aaron Boone makes, it seems to work. And Yankee fans, this team has been very successful over the years, but Yankee fans um, have been around long enough to know that every once in a while you get a season like this. Now, it doesn't guarantee it doesn't guarantee a world championship. 2019 felt like one of those seasons for a long, long time. Go back and look at the 2019 season. They didn't have Stanton for practically the entire year. I think he played like nine games. There were guys in and out of that lineup all year. They were getting contributions from Cameron Mabin. I mean, Cameron Mabin was so good in 2019, it got him a broadcasting deal as an analyst on the Yes Network based on that one season, that and giving guys hugs after they hit home runs. But Mabin was a good player on that team when they called upon him. But there were three or four Mabins on that team. But for a while in that regular season, everything Boone touched turned to gold until it didn't in the ALCS against the Astros. Now, it has that feel right now. But the reason I compare it to 2019 is that nothing is guaranteed. You know, what is guaranteed if the Yankees continue to bludgeon the likes of the awful Chicago Cubs, the Tigers, the Orioles, the Angels, the Texas Rangers, and they've done that. They have done that like clockwork, except for that one weekend, Easter weekend, where they lost two out of three in Baltimore. Since then, they have been on point. And they've played really well against the good teams, too. But they haven't had to play good team after good team after good team after good team. They haven't done that yet. They're about to do that over the next couple of weeks. Tampa, at Toronto, at Tampa, and Houston. But lots to like in Yankees land. Uh, one example of how everything that they touch turns to gold. Glaber Torres was a little under the weather today. So Matt Carpenter starts, hits two home runs, and drives in seven runs. Jose Trevino who kind of has become the Yankees' starting catcher because of his production at the plate and the energy that he brings, which I love. Trevino had a little back soreness. Kyle Higashioka gets the start and hits his first two home runs of the season. The second one came off of Cubs first baseman Frank Schwindel when the game was already out of hand. But for a guy who had seven home runs in spring training, and here we are on June 12th and was still searching for his first home run, he's not going to throw one back that he hit against a position player. It's been one of those seasons so far for the Yankees. There's a long way to go. They've done everything you have needed them to do so far, and then some. They've done more than what they've needed to do so far. But they're in the toughest division in baseball. Their lead right now is eight and a half games, but just ask the Mets how quickly a lead can dissipate. Because a week ago, the Mets had a ten and a half game lead, and they haven't fallen off a cliff. They're playing 500 baseball, and their ten and a half game lead is down to five. Yanks sweep the Cubs 18-4 this afternoon. Jamison Tyone, I know wins don't matter anymore for pitchers, allegedly. I still are, am interested by them. Uh, Tyone 
is now 7-1 and one after getting the win. This guy's been incredible. You know, what the Yankees, the biggest story, obviously, has been Nestor Cortez, Luis Severino, who has been such a big name in the Yankees system for so many years. His bounce back has been probably the number two story of the starting rotation. It's kind of overshadowed what Jamison Tyone has done this year. And Tyone, all he had to do today was get through five, get himself a win. And it's funny how things work out because Jordan Montgomery, yes, I know he got a second win yesterday, eight to nothing, second win of the season. But for the first month and a half of the year, he couldn't buy a win despite pitching extremely well. Tyone now has seven of them, seven and one and a 2.93 earned run average. And if the season ended today and the Yankees were going into the playoffs and going into the ALDS against whomever, one of the conversations would have to be, well, which starter moves to the bullpen? Because in the playoffs, you usually go with a four-man rotation. You can push it to a three-man rotation, but with the Yankees' depth right now, you don't need to do that. So somebody, whether it's Tyone or Cortez or Montgomery or Severino, it's not going to be Cole. They're not putting Cole in the bullpen for the playoffs. So somebody's going to have to go in. You know, Tyone would certainly be a candidate to do that. I'll tell you who I'd put in. I'd put Luis Severino in the bullpen. Because I've seen him in the bullpen before in that spot where he can come in and, you know, fill that 1996 Mariano Rivera-type role where he comes in in the sixth inning, gets you through six, gets you through seven, is overpowering, can let it go because he's not out there for a long period of time. That's who I'd put in the bullpen. He could be such a dangerous weapon. But we're a long ways from that. I mean, the bottom line with the Yankees is they're doing what they need to do right now to put themselves in the most advantageous position for when it's playoff time, for when it's winning time. And it hasn't been winning time in a very long time for the New York Yankees. All right, let's go to the phones, 1-800-919-3776, and we will lead things off with Sam from Rockland. Sam, how are you doing tonight? Sam, are you with us? All right, we will try to uh, hook up with Sam again in a few minutes. Sam, uh, we'll give you one more try. Sam from Rockland, you there? All right, well, we move on. Good start to the hour with the calls. 1-800-919-3776, of course, is the number. Hey, now he's there, I'm told. Sam, you there? Hey, Pat, sorry about that. Regarding the Yankees, I think they have what it takes to be the American League. But, like, let's say they go up against the Dodgers, who have always had good pitching. Do you think, like, Walker Buehler poses a threat, or do you even think, like, the Dodgers will stock up a trade deadline, get a powerhouse pitcher? Because it's always been about one or two pitchers who, like, go on these huge runs and guide teams to the playoffs. Do you think, like, Walker Buehler is manageable for the Yankees, or he's, like, a shutdown pitcher? That's an excellent question. Now, and it's one I've thought about a lot lately, Sam, and I didn't want to come after the Yankees just swept the Cubs and won 18-4 to today and won 8 to nothing yesterday. Another three-game sweep. They're 11-1 and in their last 12. They're 44-16 and overall. I didn't want to come on in my first segment and start to nitpick the Yankees and what they've done so far or what they potentially can do because I didn't feel that was right. But let's be honest. When you're talking about this team and you're analyzing this Yankees team, how many... Okay, yeah. Aaron Judge hit a couple more home runs yesterday. They bludgeoned a really bad pitcher on a really bad team last night. They did the same exact thing today. I mean, the Cubs are a, a laughing stock of a team right now. They're they're a dead team. They're a joke of a team. All right? How do you analyze and break down an 18 to 4 win? 
to improve to 44 and 16, right? There's not a lot of drama. Like, what, what decisions did Aaron Boone make that I can question? I mean, the decisions he had to make today were, well, Glaber Torres was under the weather, so put Matt Carpenter in. He hits two home runs and seven RBIs. Trevino's got a little back stiffness, so let's start Higashioka. He hits his first two home runs of the season. But, as I have said, and I'm not the only one saying this, so I'm not taking sole credit. For the Yankees, it's all about winning in the postseason. And what has been the biggest sticking point for the Yankees in the playoffs since they last won the World Series? It has been when they get to the postseason, they have trouble against top-flight pitching. Every team does, but the Yankees specifically, that has been their biggest downfall. Whether it's against the Astros, whether it's against the Red Sox, whether it's against the Rays, or anybody else who has eliminated them from the postseason in recent years. Now, the Yankees' start has been as good and I think better than you could have hoped. But when you're in the playoffs, you're not going to be facing the pitching staffs of the Baltimore Orioles. You're not going to be facing the pitching staffs of the Tigers or the Guardians or the Royals or the Rangers. The Tigers again. The Chicago Cubs. You're not facing those. Who are you facing? You're facing Tampa. You're facing Toronto. You're facing Houston. Probably either the White Sox or the Minnesota Twins. And then if you're lucky enough to get through that in the American League, the American League is so top-heavy. So top-heavy. There's five good teams in the American League, but you know what? They're all really good. Now, right now... The Yankees are the best of them in any way you look at it. But the Yankees haven't had the most challenging schedule. The few series they have had to play against good teams, they've won or split. They split in Tampa Bay. They've handled the Red Sox extremely well. They've handled the Blue Jays extremely well. They beat the White Sox three out of four at the stadium a month ago. So they've played well against the better teams in the American League. They just won two out of three in Minnesota, but the Yankees have been beating the Twins for, for forever, since the 60s, okay? But they haven't had to play good team after good team after good team after good team, and that's why this next two-week stretch is really important. Tampa Bay, how do they handle that pitching staff? Their pitching numbers are ridiculous. I mean... You look at who's pitching again. Wednesday's matchup, we know what Nestor Cortez has done this year. He's facing Shane McClanahan. McClanahan's 7-2 with a 1.87 ERA. That's Wednesday night's opponent. Tuesday night, it's Cole against Corey Kluber, who's got a 3.88 ERA and pitched well at times for the Yankees last year. And then the series finishes against Drew Rasmussen, who's 5-3 and three with a 3.41. The Rays pitching is almost as good as the Yankees pitching. So, yeah, the Yankees can continue to sweep the Cubs and sweep the Guardians and sweep the Angels and sweep the Tigers and just bludgeon these teams. 18-4, to 8-0, 10-7, 10-4, 13-0, 3-0, 6-1, 9-1. These are all Yankees wins in the last two weeks. They can continue to do that in the regular season 
But the one thing that can get them, the one thing that can bite them in the postseason is if all of a sudden they can't hit top flight pitching. Because we all know, anybody who's watched this team, as good as it has been, there are still holes and plenty of them in the Yankees lineup. You know, Judge is the best player in baseball right now. He had three more hits today. The guy, forget about his power numbers and his 24 home runs and nearly 50 RBIs. The guy's hitting 318. He's hitting 318. His OPS, I got to do some quick math here. His OPS is 1077. I like the OPS stat. If you got an 850 OPS, you're really good. You're an all-star with an 850 OPS. Judge's OPS right now is almost 1100. You know, Rizzo, his average is still low, but he seems to be getting back on track. He hit a home run last night. Stanton's been terrific. He's come off the injured list and started hitting again. LeMay, who's been up and down, but he's certainly not a hole in the lineup. The Matt Carpenter ride, just keep riding it. And that's unfortunately why Miguel Andujar is not with the team right now. You know, it's... They're not going to give up on Gallo, and they're not going to give up on Hicks at this point of the season. And once you give up on Carpenter, he's gone. And I think it's all, I, you know, if you ask me right now, is Carpenter going to be here now through the end of the season? I don't think he is. I think he's at the point of his career where he's a journeyman, and you get what you can get out of him while he's hot, and he is red hot. He hit two more home runs today. He is the first Yankee in franchise history with six home runs in his first 10 games as a Yankee. And he's got seven hits this season. Six of his first seven hits this year have been home runs. So you keep that guy in the lineup, and you keep putting him out there until he's not doing that. But there's still holes. There's still Joey Gallo. There's still Aaron Hicks, and he's been a little bit better lately. And Gallo's been a little bit better lately. And the catching. Yeah, Trevino's been a real nice story, but... Higashioka, when he's out there, he's batting 172. So there's still holes in the Yankees lineup. So there's still reasons for concern down the stretch. You want to see more balance. The Yankees kind of, to me, feel like the American League, very top-heavy. You know, you got Judge, you got Stanton, you got Rizzo, you got DJ, you trust Glaber Torres. And then after that, there's a pretty significant drop-off. You know, what are you going to get from Kiner Falefa? What are you getting from the catcher position? What are you getting from Gallo? What are you getting from Hicks? So there's a path to beat the Yankees as they're constructed right now. By the way, I mentioned Judge's OPS. Matt Carpenter's OPS, if you're wondering, is uh, 1592. <laughs> 1592. If you're 850, you're an all-star. His OPS is 1592. Now, that's obviously in very limited time. But it's all working right now. All right, Pat O'Keefe with you on 98.7 ESPN New York. Sunday evening, Mets about to get going on the uh, West Coast. Finally finishing up their 10-game West Coast road trip, which they're 4-5 and five right now, but they've lost a lot of ground because the Braves and the Phillies are red hot. Mets line up tonight. For the rubber match against the Angels, Taiwan Walker on the mound, Brandon Nimmo in center, Starling Marte in right, Francisco Lindor at short, Alonzo at first, Marcana in left, Eduardo Escobar at third, J.D. Davis is the D.H., Jeff McNeil at second, and Tomas Nito is behind the plate for Walker. So 
The Phillies, they have received the requisite spark from the firing of manager Joe Girardi, which is one of the reasons why teams, especially teams that have talent on paper, make a midseason change because oftentimes it does provide a spark. That's exactly what has happened to the Phillies. They just had a nine-game winning streak snapped. The Angels, tonight's opponent, the other team that fired a World Series championship winning manager, they haven't gotten that spark yet after replacing Joe Madden with Phil Nevin. But they have a chance to win a series against the Mets tonight. Uh, Walker and Sandoval is the pitching matchup. Mets lost yesterday 11-6. to Look, the Angels, like the Phillies, I mean, there's a lot of similarities between those two teams. Like I said, they both fired managers who had won World Series, which is very rare. It happened within a week. Um, they both have talents in their lineup. You know, last night, Mike Trout... Three for four, a couple of home runs. He's got 16 on the season. He was in a huge slump during that lengthy losing streak for the Angels. Otani also three for four last night. So six for eight for their two mega stars. You have Anthony Rendon back in the lineup. The Angels are a talented team. The Phillies are a talented team. Um, the Mets division has gotten a whole lot tougher. Now, the Mets are still in a good spot. I mean, if you looked at the Mets at the beginning of the season and said, okay, June 12th, you're going to be five games ahead of the field in the National League East without DeGrom and with minimal contributions outside of the first four weeks of the season from Max Scherzer. You would have signed for that in a second. And that's where the Mets are right now, but they've got to continue to at least tread water and then hope that these guys come back as soon as possible. Obviously. Because the Phillies and Braves, these, this, these winning streaks aren't flukes. I mean, the Braves won the World Series last year. They showed how hot they could get. They got hot in October, and they won the championship last season. So after this, the Mets have three games at home against Milwaukee. Tough team. A four-game series, a wraparound weekend series against Miami. Never easy. Then they go to Houston. Then they go to Miami. Then they come home for Houston. So the Mets schedule the rest of the month is almost as difficult as the Yankees' schedule the rest of the month. The Yankees and the Mets have both done a great job of beating the teams they're supposed to beat. Now, the Mets are supposed to beat Miami. They have seven games in the next two weeks coming up against the Marlins. You've got to win five of them. Win five games against the Marlins, who aren't a great outfit, and then just tread water. Go 500 against the likes of the Brewers and the Astros. And that's how you keep yourself in good position. That's exactly what they're doing right now. Look, the way this West Coast road trip, and tonight's a really big game, They're, especially the way that these teams behind them are playing. Mets lose tonight. Their lead is down to four and a half games. It was just ten and a half. Like, you blinked, and it was down from ten and a half to five. You lose tonight, you lose another half game. It's four and a half. But the way that this road trip started, losing listlessly two games in a row to the Dodgers, two nothing and six to one, you thought this road trip could have the makings of three and seven, two and eight, and it hasn't been that way. They've played well. Now, the games that they've lost, interestingly, they have gotten completely wiped out in. You know, they lose 7-2 to two at San Diego. They lose 13-2 to two the next night. Last night, they lost 11-6 to six to the Angels. But they're 4-5 and five on this trip so far. So tonight's a really big game. Finish this trip on a high note. Take the long flight back home. Both teams, the Yankees and the Mets, are off tomorrow and get back at it against a tough Brewers team. Now, the pitching for the Mets, it, this is even 
uh, independent of the absences of Scherzer and DeGrom right now. The pitching for the Mets isn't what it was earlier in the season. Carrasco's been great. But after Carrasco, what's the rotation? You know, Walker's very solid, has been since he came to the Mets. Bassett has been struggling. You know, McGill coming back from injury. What are you going to get consistency-wise from Peterson? So the fact that that's your starting rotation right now and you've got a five-game lead against two teams as talented as Philadelphia and the Rays, it tells me two things. Number one, it tells me you've done a heck of a job putting yourself in this position because the bats are now coming around. You know, Alonzo and Lindor's, Lindor's RBI numbers, Nimmo back in the lineup. So number one thing it tells me is that you've done a heck of a job putting yourself in this position. But the other thing it tells me when you look at a starting rotation of Walker, Bassett, Peterson, McGill, Carrasco, you're not going to be able to hold on for forever with that starting rotation. You're not. I don't care how many runs Alonzo drives in. I don't care how many Lindor drives in. You're going to need Scherzer and DeGrom back at some point. But they've done a great job without them. We'll talk some Rangers when we come back. Some post-game reaction after their series and season came to an end last night. Two wins shy of the Stanley Cup Finals. It's Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York. You know, it's never pleasant when you're dissecting the end of a season, especially a season that ends in the playoffs. Now, more often than not, if your team's season ends in the playoffs, as the Rangers did last night, a 2-1 to loss at Tampa Bay in the Eastern Conference Finals. Lightning moving on to the Stanley Cup Finals for the third consecutive season, looking for their third straight cup. It's a successful season more often than not if the season ends in the playoffs. Now, there's examples where it's not. You know, I just mentioned at the beginning of the hour of recent Yankees seasons, many of which have ended in disappointment in the playoffs. Last year, the Yankees went to the playoffs. They no-showed in the wild card game at Fenway Park to the Red Sox. They barely got into the postseason. That was not a successful season. And that's why there was so much consternation from Yankees fans in the offseason about the lack of moves that were made, including the managerial spot. Is Aaron Boone the right guy? Well, obviously, the moves that were made in the offseason have worked extremely well so far, um, focusing on more balance in the batting order, focusing on defense, and putting together this starting rotation that has been absolutely lights out. The Rangers season, which ended last night, certainly falls into the category of this was a successful season. There's no way you can make the case that after missing the playoffs for four straight years, 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021. And the way 2021 ended, that disaster at the Garden against Washington and Tom Wilson and the Rangers reacting by changing the hierarchy of the organization. The guys had had helped put this team together, specifically Jeff Gordon, who had been there for forever, and John Davidson, who seemed to have the organization on the right track. For them to go from there to a 2-0 lead in the Eastern Conference Finals and a 2-0 lead in Game 3, that's a successful season no matter how you look at it. But it doesn't mean that the end of the season is disappointing. And it's extremely disappointing. And the reason it's so disappointing is because as good as this season was and as enjoyable as it was and watching the youngsters get better and watching the veterans 
have their best seasons, like what Chris Kreider did, watching Igor Shesterkin blossom into, if not the best goalie in the world, the second best goalie in the world, watching Adam Fox perform on this stage in the postseason. It's been a terrific year of development and winning and performance. It's still really disappointing because the Rangers should have won this series. They really should have. And I know the last three games, they were outplayed. But they win game one going away. Tampa was extremely rusty. The Garden was completely fired up and electric that night. And the Rangers rode that momentum to a 6-2 to two win. And then that carried over into game two, where they, yes, had to hold on for dear life at the end as things got a little dicey. But were able to hold serve at home and take a two-games-to-nothing lead. I'm going to have a, a buddy of mine on as a guest, Kevin Winter, ESPN Radio studio host for the NBA Finals, and he's got a big thing that says a 2 nothing lead in a series is not a commanding two-games-to-nothing lead. If the home team wins two games at home, they simply did what they're supposed to do. Their lead is not a commanding two-games-to-nothing lead, and this is the perfect example of that. The Rangers did what they needed to do at home. They were very impressive in doing it, but they simply held serve at home. Now, where the series changed, where the Rangers lost their opportunity to take a commanding lead in the series was Game 3. And the entire series can be boiled down to Game 3. They had Tampa Bay on the ropes. They had outplayed them two straight games at the Garden. Then they go down to Tampa. They get some good fortune with a couple of power plays in the second period. And the Rangers' power play this entire playoffs was fantastic. And Zibanejad scored... And Kreider scored. And like I said earlier, all of a sudden, up 2 nothing and up two games to nothing, you're starting to think, oh my God. Like, they could actually go to the Stanley Cup Finals. I think Tampa Bay is such a daunting opponent, and we later found out why, that you didn't really allow yourself to think that if you were a Rangers fan until you got to that point. And it's amazing how short-lived it was. And it was self-inflicted, and that's what hurts so much. An interference penalty against Jacob Truba, who was great throughout the playoffs, but had a really rough Game 3 last Sunday. And that interference penalty opened the door for Tampa to get back into that game. And what championship teams do is they take advantage of those opportunities. And I've been saying this for weeks now. Watch these championship-caliber teams. The Lightning, the Warriors, the Milwaukee Bucks. You can give teams like that extra chances or extra opportunities in big games because almost all the time they're going to take advantage. And that's what Tampa Bay did. It was just a little thing. It seems benign at the time. Okay, you're up 2 nothing. Let's just kill off this interference penalty, and we move on. And they weren't able to do it. And Tampa scored, got it to 2-1. to one. We're the far more aggressive team in the third period. Took advantage of another Rangers penalty by Truba. Tied the game at two, and now all of a sudden the Rangers are on their heels because of Tampa's pedigree. How often do you see that? The team that's leading the series two games to nothing in a tie game in the third period is the team back on its heels. But if you look at the third period of game three, games four, five, and six, the Rangers were on their heels the rest of the series. That's why winning is so difficult. There were times during these playoffs where the Rangers looked invincible. I mean, that four-game stretch, winning game six against Carolina, winning game seven at Carolina, and then coming back 
to win the first two games against Tampa Bay, the Rangers looked invincible. But winning the fourth game or the third game of a playoff series is so much more difficult than winning games one or two. And the Rangers found that out. And the hope now is that they build on that going forward because this is a team that should not go away. When we come back, we'll preview game five of the NBA Finals, which is tomorrow night in San Francisco. All right, the NBA Finals are now down to a best-of-three series. It resumes tomorrow night in San Francisco after the Warriors came from behind to beat the Celtics 107-97 on Friday night behind arguably the best performance in Steph Curry's career as he dropped 43 points and knocked down seven three-pointers. So we look ahead to Game 5, which you can hear right here on 98.7 ESPN New York and all throughout the playoffs and the finals. ESPN Radio's studio host is Kevin Winter, and I was fortunate enough to uh, pull him off the golf course for a couple of minutes to talk about Game 5 tomorrow. How are you, buddy? Uh, no golf course today, but you did pull me away from the bar school, so that's okay. So we're good there, right? <laughs> so that's how we that's how we roll. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. Listen, we got Jake Montgomery and Jacob Perry producing the show. They were both very excited that you were coming on because of all the voices that we hear on ESPN, and these guys are here around the clock. Your voice with all the updates and the studio hosting is probably the one that they've heard the most. So they were very excited you were coming on today. I like that. See, I get the fan club. I'll throw the New York fan club. I was a New Yorker for five years at Hofstra, and yes, I went to school for five years, so don't even knock me on that. It's okay. We discussed this before. Yeah, we have, and we're not going to talk about how many years I went to school. So let's just dive into game Save five. My man. I, I, was on the, I was on the smaller version. I like that. <laughs> it's, it's a bigger number than five, but we're talking about game five tomorrow at the Chase Center in San Francisco. And again, you can hear Celtics Warriors right here on 98.7 ESPN New York. Uh, you were there uh, in the building, in your hometown, of course, Kevin, in game four in Boston. Um, for you, and you've seen a lot of basketball and you've covered a lot of basketball, is that the best game of Steph's career? Yes, and I know 43 and 10, people have had better numbers. I add into it the situation. In fact, Pat, given the situation, it might have been one of the best finals performances we've seen under the circumstances, and I think that's the key. You can come down to win, down 3-1 in the finals. It's done done once. LeBron's LeBron's Cavaliers did it. But if you go home down 3-1, that's an entirely different animal. So given that backdrop, given Boston's pretty hot start in the first quarter, and then given that third quarter run, and given Boston kind of wouldn't go away, and when they needed a play, Steph made the play. Take all of those factors into the equation here, all those little nuances, that that was his best performance and maybe one of the best performances we've seen in the finals. You know, it's funny. I was on this. Uh, we were just talking about the Rangers and their season ending last segment. And I was on the air last Sunday after they lost that game three, which would have put them up three mm-hmm. games to nothing against the Lightning. And I had callers calling me saying I was a hater for saying you don't want to let this team get back in. The Rangers blew an opportunity and we know what happened. I get the sense, and look, the Warriors are a championship team just like the Tampa Bay Lightning are. I think top to bottom, the Celtics have more talent on their roster, but right now Golden State has that championship pedigree, and they have the best player in the series right now. Is there a sense, Kevin, from Boston that they really let an opportunity slip away the other night? Yeah, there's a little bit of that. Uh, There is because, I mean, if you take what Larry Bird would say back in the day, if you have games on your own home court, you're supposed to win them. 
look, things are different then. Um, you've got a younger team that's not been to this stage ever. Uh, you've got the championship DNA, as you alluded to. There's a little bit of a let it slip away, but the thing that gets me, that's driving me and having me rack my brains, but it's not just me, but it's you know our two excellent analysts in, in Doris Burke and P.J. Colissimo, Pat, if I talk to them, and hey, I'm with P.J. at dinner last night, and he looked at me in that, you know, in the, in the only the P.J. way, I got, you know, bleepity bleep clues to what's going on in this series. I, I've got no idea how to, how to, how to, how to picture this and predict it going forward. These two teams are so evenly matched, and I've said this for the last couple of games. Basketball, Pat, is a simple game. Don't turn the ball over. Rebound and make shots. Look what has happened to the losing team in these games. Turnovers did even themselves out in game four. Boston on the, on the glass got killed. You lose 39-31 to the glass, but you give up 16 offensive rebounds, and a lot of them were the timing of those rebounds. Celtics go up 91-86. This thing looks like it could go, go, go sideways for Golden State. Golden State makes a great defensive stand. Clay hits a turnaround shot. Warrior take another defensive stand. Uh, Robert Williams goes for a block, doesn't box out. There's Wiggins. All of a sudden, that five-point game, which could have been seven or eight, is now down to one. Little things like that and the timing of it matter. As simplistic of a game as basketball is and as maybe as convoluted as we want to make the finals, it's real easy. Do the basics, you can win as long as you've got shot makers. Golden State's got the best shot maker of the planet. Maybe of all time. Maybe Kev- of all time. Exactly. It's the all-time guy from downtown. And when he's hitting, yes. Pat, when he's hitting those, those, you know, I'm going to step to the side, kind of just throw, you know, throw it up, fall to the left, and just you know, ride the wave and the wings into the into the crowd as the ball doesn't even touch the rim and barely moves the net. What do you do? No, you tip I know. your cap and just go. Yeah, you tip your cap and you, and you just say, "Ouch, <laughs> that hurt." But it's funny because you, you're watching. We're talking with Kevin Winter, the studio host for the NBA Finals on ESPN Radio. You're watching him the other day, and he's obviously had a brilliant career. It's long been accepted he's the greatest shooter, the greatest three-point shooter of all time. He never had that signature game. You know, when you hear the Clay Thompson game, it's game six of 2016 against Oklahoma City. You know, when they were yep. so dominant in the finals, back-to-back years in 17 and 18, Kevin Durant was the NBA Finals MVP. You never had the, the Steph There's a lot of Steph games. There's a lot of great moments yeah. and performances. E- even when he was young and he scored 54 at Madison, Square Garden. Um, that's one that people here in New York remember. This, and, and they have to finish the job. They have to win the series, but I think this finally would be the signature game of what's been a brilliant career. Hey, the funny thing is, I actually think he's got a better one in him, and I think we're going to see a better one. The question is, when does it come? And if it comes tomorrow night, then we ask the question, can Boston win on their floor in force game seven? If it come, if Boston wins tomorrow night, we may see Steph go bonkers in Game Six, which you know would remind me the best performance I've ever seen is LeBron in 2012. His his Heat come into Boston down three two, and LeBron misses five shots and puts up 45 and 10, or 45 and 15 yep. in a must win. So it's things like that. Like we talk time, but I mentioned timing. Steph's got a game, another one of these games in him. Which it's funny. We started looking at you start looking at Finals MVP. 
Caesars has him minus one fifty. They're telling you if Golden, you know, if Golden State wins, it's a no-brainer. By the way, the next four on the list are Celtics. I'm even having a hard time figuring out unless Tatum goes for forty-five and fifty in two in two wins. Pat, I can make the serious case. That's the MVP of the series, win or lose. That's how good of a series he has had. His, for instance, his I'm doing our totals that we do during the pregame show during NBA Countdown. I'm putting them in here uh, to, for tonight. Steph Curry's over under is thirty and a half points tomorrow night. Thirty and a half in a final <laughs> in a game. finals game. That's, I know. In, that's insane. That's how good he's been. Well, and the other part is, and I and I. Boston's the more talented team, you know, one through eight, one through nine. I, I think most people sure. would ag- would agree with that. But you know, they have these two stars. Um, you know, we haven't had a big Tatum game yet. You know, the the, the shooting percentages, especially from two point range, have been really down. I think Jalen Brown. <laughs> I haven't looked at the odds that you're talking about, but is it possible that number two on the list behind Curry and NBA Finals MVP odds is Jalen Brown? No, no, but it's not. Give me two seconds here. Um, it's, pro- it's probably it's close because Brown's Curry, been. Brown's been as good, if not better, than Tatum. As we stand right now, Curry is at current odds minus one fifty. Tatum is minus is plus one sixty. Brown is plus four seventy five. Okay, so actually, it's still a pretty big gap. It's a pretty big bag, a pretty big gap. However, it's not like I said. So that lean that tells me we're leaning more staff win or lose. But for anybody out there who likes to make an investment, Brown at plus four seventy five is not a bad little option there, guys. If Brown goes for twenty five, you know, twenty five and thirty and two wins, and Tatum just has assist games, Brown may get a shot here. Roz, Roz Golda Woody, who's our studio analyst with me, she and I do the pregame show. She she has been uh, saying Brown to me, Brown to her would be boss would be the MVP if Boston wins. So plus four seventy five, that's a pretty good that's a pretty good value. That is absolutely. I mean, because he's been, and look, it, a lot of his expectations. You expect more of Tatum. And what Tatum has produced has not been as close to his expectations as what Brown has produced in relation to his expectations. Can I throw something else at you? You mentioned about Tatum. Fourth quarter points. Jalen Brown, in this entire series, Jalen Brown's lead all scores. Every, both teams, 19. Marcus Smart is 18. Klay Thompson is 17. Steph Curry has 16. Poole's got 16. There's no Tatum on that list, Pat. Wow. That's a problem for Boston. That's a problem for Boston. Tatum's had three points on one shot in the fourth quarter in game with these running together uh, on game four. And it came with 10 minutes to go. He never scored again the rest of the game. That has to change if Boston wants to win. Talking with Kevin Winter, the studio host for the NBA Finals on ESPN Radio. Game five tomorrow at the Chase Center. Uh, Kev, you'll be on site in San Francisco. We know that. You've done a great job all series with Roz Gold and Woody. Um, Golden State in game four. In Boston, 91-86, it was a Friday night crowd, a 9 o'clock start in Boston, so you know what that means, Kevin. Um, yeah. Jalen Brown drives, they get the foul call, uh, and Marcus Smart gets the free throw with 7.32 to go, and after that, it's 91-86. Yep. to That had to be as loud as the building was all night. How surprised were you? I mean, from that point on, the Celtics scored six points, and they lose the game by 10. Hey. How surprised were you from that point to the end of the game? Extremely, and it was disappointing. Um, I, I, someone has used this analogy before, and it was when Boston was trying to close out Game Seven uh, in Miami. You, you remember the movie King Cup, and you know Costner, Roy McAvoy, the character. He's trying to hit the ball o- over the over the water at Pinehurst and to, to win the U.S. Open. And the director from CBS says, "Someone tackle this guy. Yes. Tell him he doesn't have to hit it from there." 
so that was game seven in, uh, in, in Miami. I felt the same way when Boston was chucking up their threes. They were good looks, but they were rushed. They, and for the love of God, go to the, when the tree isn't falling, you, Boston was trying to hit home runs, Pat, for the knockout punch. You don't knock that team out with one swing of the bat. You have to you single and double and double and single and, and then hit the, hit the home run. That's how you knock out Golden State. That's how Boston did it in game one, and that's how they did it in game three. You can't do it like that. You've got to let it come naturally in the flow of the offense. Boston's offense gets stagnant. I referenced that point on that great defensive stand when it's 91-86, like you just brought up. That shot that Boston took was with one second on the shot clock, and it's a 19-foot fadeaway from Tatum, and it's an air ball. Because Golden State locked them down, and there was zero ball movement. You know, you even go back to the Miami series and the Heat in their near comeback in Game 7. Um, these teams seem to be content when they're playing the Celtics in structuring their defense and allowing Marcus Smart open three-pointers at the end of their games. And look, Smart can hit them once in a while. He hasn't been a high-percentage three-pointer over the course of his career, so it might come back to bite you at some point, but that really does seem to be the strategy of the Heat and now Golden State down the stretch of these games. If Marcus Smart takes a three-pointer, whether it's open or contested, it, it almost seems like the defense feels like it's done its job. Two ways. Mar uh, Bo Marcus is the ultimate Boston. No, no, no. Oh, good shot, Marcus. Good shot. Is he, he's that ultimate guy, or it's, oh, for the love of God, Marcus, why do you keep shooting? The other thing, uh, to back up your point, Golden State has made it a point. We're not letting Jalen drive. If he does, we're going to collapse. When did Boston struggle in the Miami series? When they drove middle. When they drove middle, Miami collapsed hard. Remember all those turnovers on those strips down the lane? That's what Golden State started doing the other night in Game Five, uh, Game Four. For Tatum, don't let him get to his spot. Move him around. Don't let him get comfortable and cut the angles. And then if he wants to take those hard jump shots, let him. But Tatum's trying to take that three, like you know, he's trying to hit that home run three. Get a rhythm. If you Tatum, get a get a couple of easy ones. Then let's take it back. Because once you see one or two and you got that uh, that blow on that stroke. You're good to go. But Golden State has done a great job of making everything hard on those two stars. And, yes, that's why in game – go back to game one. As Draymond said, White, Smart, and Hawford combined for, what, 11 three-pointers. He's like, we'll take it. Right now? Yeah. Maybe one of the only thing Draymond's doing right in this series. He was right. We'll, we'll, we'll take it. We'll be fine. How about Draymond? Because Steve Kerr – <laughs> this is his this is his sixth trip to the finals. And – Yep. Usually, they've been so dominant that he hasn't had to make a lot of tough lineup decisions. In fact, he keeps Curry's rest. You know, he comes out the beginning of the second quarter, comes in at six minutes, comes out the beginning of the fourth quarter, comes in at six minutes. But this is obviously a different Warriors team. They're not as good. And he had to make a difficult decision last game, and he had Draymond Green on the bench during that 14-3 to run in the fourth quarter. Um, what do you think about the, the coaching moves that Kerr has had to do during this series, particularly have, last game? If, so if you're, we wondered if he would make an adjustment to the starting lineup. He put, he put a Porter in, non-factor. So the big move that he's going to get credit for is Draymond. And look, you ha as a head coach, you have to make those decisions. Do I need offense right now, or do I need Draymond on the, on the floor? He needed a little more offense because Poole was able to give him that. So was Looney. And, again, this goes back to the glass. Looney was dominant on the boards 
along with Wiggins. So now you've got two guys who can rebound. So if any misses are coming your way, you've got those guys crashing the boards, especially if Robert Williams is, is cheating over to try for the block. Weak sides open, easy putbacks. You needed as good of a facilitator as Draymond is, you needed a shot maker or you needed a guy who could beat someone off the dribble. As erratic as Jordan Poole is at times, he can still be that explosive cat, and he was able to do it a couple of times uh, in game four. Credit to Kerr for the move. Credit to Draymond for saying, I hate it, it stinks, but I got to go with him. He's right, meaning the coach is right. He made the right call. Also, let's face it too, Pat, when calls are call, everyone's in agreement when you win too. If it's a loss, we may have a different narrative from, uh, from one side. You may have a different narrative on that podcast that Draymond Green does after the game. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit. It's funny. Uh, Monica McNutt interviewed Steph today, and Steph brought up the podcast. And I'm like, ah, so everyone does listen to the podcast. <laughs> they all listen. Are you guys watching Draymond? I mean, look, he's not the offensive force that – I mean, he was never an offensive no. force, but he's he's a non-factor offensively. But the, the antics are still there. And he, you know, for a guy who scores two points, you know that he's on the floor every second he's on there. When you're watching his antics out there, are you guys just shaking your head and laughing at this guy? No. To an extent, I laugh at the bully ball stuff. Or I shake my head at any bully ball that crosses the line. But if you get away with it, get away with it. And they needed that in game two. They need they got out they got punched in game one. They needed everything Draymond gave them in game two. I have no problem with it. If it's gonna if it's gonna be allowed, hell yeah, you do it. You absolutely do it until you cross the line. Game three, when he gets ejected, I had no problem with him chucking Marcus Smart. Marcus didn't have a problem with it either. He knew it was Draymond's sixth foul. Draymond's trying to you know, Draymond's ticked that his guy his his boy's on the ground screaming about his left leg. Meaning Curry, it's I don't laugh at Draymond like that, but I will. I, I, I more look at Draymond if he's left open and Boston sagging. I'm screaming. This is exactly what Boston wants. Take the shot. I'm begging you to take that shot. And right now, when he takes it, it's a break. Two more quick ones for you, because you, you mentioned, and I'm eager for this, that you think Curry has another bigger performance in him. Do you think? Kevin, that we have a Clay Thompson game. Is there a Clay Thompson game in there somewhere? The last three. It's funny, I do, like I said, I was doing the over unders. Uh, Clay Thompson, nineteen and a half points. That's going in the uh, tote board tomorrow night of the pregame show. I could see Curry maybe backing down a little bit tomorrow night, or, or Boston. Let me phrase that. Curry's never backing down. I could see the defense for Boston shifting more to Curry. The question is, is Clay the answer? And I think it could be. Now, Clay has actually struggled to shoot in Chase Center. He, he got hot in Boston. He was only four for 15 from three in Chase Center in games one and two. But you know shooters. Once they find their rhythm, does it carry? And it, it usually does. So I think tomorrow night, Golden State could be led by Clay Thompson when it comes in the scoring margin. The question is, what are those two combining for, Pat? So in game in game three, when they lost, those two combined for 56, and they lost by 16. They got no help. Clay, you only need, if they do that, but you get 17 out of Wiggins and 14 out of Poole, that's when Golden State's exceptionally dangerous, and that's when Boston's in trouble. And Clay was very good in the fourth quarter with eight points. Um, very good in the fourth quarter. The other thing, you know, Tatum, I mean, we talked about him. And this shows, Kevin, how it's – so difficult to become an established superstar in this league. Tatum's on his way. He was first-team All-NBA this year, 
And it was just a couple of weeks ago he has an all-timer in Milwaukee scoring 46 points. But now here we are two weeks later, and we're talking about his lack of fourth quarter production. So you're not, you know, you've got to do this for a long time until you're on that level where you're not questioned in big games anymore. And I think Tatum's finding out that he's not quite there yet. He's getting close. Do we have a Tatum game in us the last three games? Yes, we do somewhere. Tatum, two, uh, on your uh, Tatum first team All-NBA, don't think that's not in Steph's mind. Right? Don't think that's not in Steph's mind that Tatum made it and he didn't. Okay. So there's that. that, that there's your little subplot. It's kind of like Jordan in the last dance. Yeah, whenever who got MVP over him, he's like, yeah, this. LeBradford Smith. <laughs> yeah, LeBrad, exactly. The LeBradford Smith games, or even Carl Malone getting MVP or whatever, or Charles Barkley. Um, but when it comes to Tatum, Pat, I want to see that guy an entire second half, never throw his arms up and flail, never talk to an official. If he does that for an entire 24 minutes in the second half of a basketball game, that's when you come to life. If you want to be Kobe Bryant, Kobe didn't do that garbage. Kobe would complain at times, but when it came to you-know-what crunching time, right, Kobe just he went Mamba mentality. Head down, that's my hoop, and I'm getting there. I don't care if you abuse the crap out of me. Tatum's got to accept that, that it's coming. Don't look for it. Finish the shot. Just go to the rim strong. Finish your shot. He's leaving a bunch of layup short, Pat, because he's looking for the foul. Mm. You can't miss bunnies in the finals anywhere in the NBA, but particularly the finals. And I think we do have a Tatum game coming. Question is, is is it tomorrow or is it game six if they're down 3-2? But there's one coming. It's going to be fun. Down to a best of three series. I was excited about this matchup from the beginning. After game four, it has not disappointed. Can't wait for tomorrow night, Kev. Uh, and, And good luck with the parlay that I'm sure you have on the Mets Angels game right now. Yeah, sure. Let's get on to it. Someone talked to me about baseball today. We have our studio producer, Mike Martino. We're at, the, we're at lunch today grabbing a burger. And he starts talking baseball. I looked at him. I said, yo, Steamhead. I said, you do realize I cannot get into baseball until July. Not because I don't want to, but, Pat, we've done 70 basketball games since March, uh, since this is the end of March. I don't have time for baseball right now. When this is done, I'll get into, I'll get into, some, I'll get into some baseball. Uh, so, as it is, right now I have it on only to find out who half these players are. So I don't sound stupid in, uh, when you're on vacation and I'm, and I'm taking over the studio role. <laughs> I need you to take some vacation so I can get back in that studio, my friend. End, end, of, uh, end of July. Put All right, two, I'll mark two my... Two weeks coming at the end of July. Mark I'll it mark down. my calendar. Hey, Kev, great stuff hey, on the finals. We look forward to hearing you tomorrow. Thanks a lot, buddy. This has been a hell of a series, and it's got, it's got a long way to go. There's going to be a lot of exciting stuff. Thanks, pal. You can hear it right here. Kevin Winter does a great job as the studio host uh, for ESPN Radio. Right now, the studio host for the NBA Finals. We've got ourselves a series tied at two games apiece. Game five tomorrow at Chase Center in San Francisco. You can hear it right here on 98.7 ESPN New York. Quick break. Uh, When we come back, we'll uh, get back to your phone calls. 1-800-919-3776. And some thoughts from me on Curry's performance on Friday night and what that has done to enhance his legacy which was already pretty healthy. It's Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York. I didn't even realize this until somebody mentioned it to me a couple of weeks ago. I have long you know, written off, unfortunately, any home run records, whether it's the all-time record uh, by Barry Bonds or the single-season record also by Barry Bonds, but obviously it was Mark McGuire first and Sammy Sosa was in that mix. 
you know, starting in 1998, Maris's Roger Maris's 61 home run record was broken time and time and time again. McGuire, Sosa actually had it. I remember one night. I'm pretty sure Sosa got to like 65 first, but McGuire was still playing at the same time. So there was like a one hour period where I think Sosa had moved in front, but McGuire hitting 70 in 98, and then Bonds hitting 73 in I believe 2001. But all of those instances, and I never realized this. Um, I guess I should have if I thought about it, but I, but I hadn't really sat down and thought about it. All of those instances took place in the National League, which means that the American League, not only the Yankees' single-season home run record, and A-Rod came close in 2007, but that's also been tainted, but the Yankees' single-season home run record and the American League's single-season home run record is still 61. So that is something to keep an eye on. But the amazing thing, it seems like Aaron Judge has been as hot as you could be. I mean, if he doesn't hit a home run, then he hits one the next night. And sometimes he hits two, like he did last night. And he's got 24 home runs right now. The Yankees have played 60 games. They're 44 and 16. So if Judge continues along this pace, 24 home runs in 60 team games, that gets him to 64.8. So, yes, he's on pace to break Maris's record of 61 home runs, his American League record, his Yankees record. But that's not a comfortable pace. I mean, it doesn't seem like Judge can be hotter than he is. He's as hot as can be. And he's still on pace to hit 64.8 home runs. It's called 64 home runs. you got to figure at some point this season, he's going to cool down for at least a two-week stretch where he hits maybe one home run over two weeks. Or, and you hate to say this, but his history would indicate that he's going to miss some time because of an injury. You hope that's limited this season or if the Yankees continue to win at such an alarming pace and right now they're on pace to win 118 games then if they have such a comfortable lead at the end of the regular season Aaron Boone will scale back on judges at bats to preserve him for the postseason so it's going to be difficult but like I said earlier we're more than a third of the way into the season And the pace that he's on in terms of home runs and the pace that the team is on in terms of wins, it could get real, real exciting, especially with what the Mets are doing at the exact same time. And the Mets are playing right now, trying to finish off a 5-5 and road trip on the West Coast. They're in Los Angeles trying to uh, earn a uh, win of their three-game series Heading to the second inning, the Angels got one in the bottom of the first, so they lead the Mets one to nothing. It's uh, Taiwan Walker on the mound for the Mets tonight. But that just shows you just how special years are, like 61 for Maris, and how special 1998 was for the Yankees when they won 114 games. I mean, can you imagine a team being any hotter than the Yankees are right now? They were already the best team in baseball by a mile. And then they just went out and won 11 of their last 12 games to add to that. I mean, they're 44-16. and I know the schedule hasn't been a bear, but they've beaten the teams in front of them. They've lost 16 games. It's June 12th. They've lost 16 games. So you would think, because they win every night, it seems, that they're on pace for like 120, 123 wins. No, they're on pace for 118 wins. It just shows how tough it was for that 98 Yankees team to win 114 games 
and how amazing it was for the 2001 Mariners to win 116 games. Now, they're not remembered like the 98 Yankees are because the Mariners lost to the Yankees in the 2001 ALCS. But they have the best regular season of all time in terms of wins, 116. But it's just, it's, it's really hard to be that great. You know, what would you say about Judge's season so far? How could he possibly be better? Even today, the Yankees win 18-4 to over the Cubs. All right, Judge doesn't homer, but he goes three for six. So now he's got the 24 home runs. He's got 48 runs batted in, and he's batting 318 in an era where batting averages aren't that high anymore. I mean, this is the all-time, and again, we're, we're, we're not even halfway through, but through the first 60 games, this is the all-time example of betting on yourself and producing. But it's an interesting question that Greeny asks. Would you consider this the all-time single-season home run record if Judge surpasses 61? I would say no, but unfortunately for me, the all-time single-season home run record isn't important anymore. It's not valued anymore. You know, I had to think about what year Bonds hit the 73 home runs. It was 2001. I'm almost positive. You know, we know McGuire hit... 70 in 98 but I don't value those records because they are tainted those players when they broke those records were using performance enhancing drugs they were on steroids what's still special the American League record 61 in 1961 the Yankees record 61 in 1961 and if you have a Yankee a homegrown Yankee Chasing down that number this summer. That's going to be really, really special. I mean, Judge is the most popular Yankee since Jeter. You're always going to get that extra boost of popularity if you're the homegrown guy. That helped Jeter. And that helped Judge. There's a lot of similarities between Judge and Jeter. And just in the way they they handle themselves. You know, they don't say a ton, but they're not in trouble. They're not saying anything controversial. They have an air about them that you know that they're the leader of that team. But Judge is having as good a season as you could possibly have. You know, when the Rangers are done now and the NBA Finals will be done a week from today, if not sooner, and then we really start to shift our focus to the Yankees and the Mets and settle in for a summer of baseball with these two teams that could do really special things. I mean, 2000... For those who remember that, the Subway Series and how fun that was, this is better because the Mets are better. You know, the Mets in 2000 were plucky. They didn't even win the division. They got the wild card. They got hot at the end of the year. They didn't have the firepower to match up with that Yankees team. They played them really well in the World Series, too. These Mets, if you have DeGrom and Scherzer, not only do they have the firepower to match up with the Yankees, I'm not so sure they're not the better team than the Yankees. And that could be extremely interesting. But the judge thing is a good question. Would you consider that the all-time Major League Baseball home run record if Aaron Judge surpasses 61 this summer? The fact that we're even talking about it and that it's a possibility is something really special. Mets and Yanks both off tomorrow. Yankees beat the Cubs 18-4. to They swept the Cubs three at the stadium after taking two out of three in Minnesota. 
Before that, they swept the Angels. They swept the Detroit Tigers. Yankees 11-1 in their last 12 games. Jake Montgomery, uh, Jacob Perry producing for us this evening. Jake just told me he saw this on Twitter. Toronto, which has gotten hot, like the teams behind the Mets, the Phillies and the Braves, the teams behind the Yankees are also hot, Toronto and Tampa Bay. Toronto went 14-6 and six in their last 20 games. And Jake, how many games did they gain on the Yankees by going 14 and 6? They gained exactly 0 games, Pat, <laughs> which uh, is not very good. And if you remember Yankees fans, there was a stretch of games last season where the Yankees went on this hot run, and how many games did they gain on Tampa Bay? I believe they gained one game. It was minimal. Yes, yeah. it was not ideal. So And then I think the Yankees followed that up by going 2 and 7 in their next 9 games. So not only did they not gain much ground during their 13 game winning streak, they gave much of it back in the next week and a half. Absolutely. And although they have this great lead over the Blue Jays, eight and a half games, they have a nine-game lead over the Rays, and a 12-and-a-half game over the Red Sox, who have gotten a lot hotter since the Yankees played them in that opening series, which again goes to baseball. Sometimes it's about when you play a team, and now the Red Sox have gotten hot, and we have 16 remaining games with them. But more importantly, I know why Yankees fans are looking towards October and November. This team is on a historic pace. But this is a long season. It's not even July yet. You mentioned this stretch of games versus the Rays, the Blue Jays, and the Astros. If those, if a couple of those series goes wrong, all of a sudden the American League East is wide open again. So I know Yankees fans, I'm a huge Yankees fan. I know we all here like the Yankees. But realistically, this season uh, and series uh, are all going to be a crucial part of this season. So the Yankees... Don't really look too far down this the season yet because this is a long, long year. Well, that's what they've been doing so far, you know, game by game, series by series. I'm pretty sure the only series they've lost still to this point was that series over Easter weekend in Baltimore. Yeah, that's the only. <laughs> the, yeah, exactly. What and at that odds? point, they, yeah. they were six and six. The sky was falling. It was a lot of same old Yankees, and they they started to get hot right after that. The number is one eight hundred nine one nine three seven seven six. The Aaron Judge potential home run record question is an interesting one. I won't take credit for it. It uh, came from hearing the promo for Greeny's show. Now, I'm told Mike Greenberg is a fairly accomplished talk show host, so uh, pilfering a topic from him isn't the worst thing you can do in this business. Uh, let's go to the phones. Frank from Yonkers wants to chime in. Frank, what's going on tonight? Hey, Pat, how are you? Uh, great show. I was actually at the Yankee game today. They do seem to be playing well, but the season, I think, will come down to these next couple of weeks uh, with those games against the Rays and the Toronto and, and Houston. I was a kid when they had the home run race in 1961 and uh, between Harris and Mantle, and it was uh, so, all that anybody spoke about. And it was probably still maybe the most exciting sporting event I can ever remember in my entire life. And... Um, <clears throat> Baseball back then, I think, was much more popular than it is today in comparison to the other sports, certainly. And the Yankees, even though it was the end of a four-and-a-half-decade-long dynasty, no one realized it at the time because the 61 team was one of the greatest teams of all time. I do believe that uh, Bonds, McGuire, and Sosa, particularly Sosa. I mean, Bonds and McGuire were always great players. Sosa came from nowhere to hitting 60 home runs every year kind of made it a joke out of it, which is unfortunate. Judge, though, is the type of player, I think, that could bring some uh, some great attention back to uh, to a home run record chase and, uh, and hopefully, 
he can he can do it. He does have the the great demeanor. Uh, he certainly has the potential to be a great Yankee, and I hope uh, eventually they sign him. And uh, thank you again very much, and keep up the good work. Frank, thanks a lot. Thank you for the call. Yeah, Judge is the kind of guy that could attract attention to this. I mean, he's a Yankee, which doesn't hurt in the national scope. Our caller's right. Baseball is certainly not the popular America's pastime type sport that it was in 1961. And it's not as popular here in New York. But you know when it is as popular as it's ever been here in New York? When the Yankees are winning and when the Mets are winning. And right now they're both winning. So, again, school's about to let out. Spring sports for high schools and youth sports are about to come to an end. All of the things during the year that occupy people's attentions and families' attentions and fans' of atten- fans' attentions, all of those things are starting to come to an end. And then you settle into summertime where there is a lot more attention and a lot more focus placed on baseball because that's what there is. It's there every single night, and for the first time in a very, very long time, You've got the Yankees and the Mets playing at an extremely high level, and then you throw in this Aaron Judge component of homegrown Yankee, larger-than-life figure physically, the biggest position player in baseball history, great demeanor, leader of the team. Yeah, uh, it's going to be exciting to see him try to go after that 61 home run mark. And I don't care about the Major League... It, the record is 73. It's unfortunate. I don't like that it's 73, the most home runs in a single Major League Baseball season by Barry Bonds. But that's the record. And you can't take that away unless baseball chooses to actually take that away, which they haven't done. It doesn't look like they have any intentions of doing so. So the way I look at it is I just don't care. He hit 73 home runs. You know what? It, that number doesn't have a lot of value to me. But the one that has value to me is over in the American League. Because nobody in the American League has ever surpassed Roger Maris's 61 home runs. So you have two special entities with that 61 number attached to its record, the American League and the New York Yankees. And this summer, we have the potential for the most popular Yankee to try to chase down that record for both of those entities. It could get real exciting. This is the Pat O'Keefe Show on 98.7 ESPN.